You're listening to The Loyalty Minute, the show that helps you build better customer loyalty and more valuable user engagement with your host, Rob Gallo. Welcome, loyal listeners, to another episode of The Loyalty Minute. I'm your host, Rob Gallo, and today I'm super eager and excited to chat with Brad Hetchkump. I'm going to probably repronounce that again, but Bram <laughs> is the CEO of Kobe Marketing, a loyalty marketing company that designs, builds, and optimizes loyalty programs for some of the largest brands in the world. Kobe's business is focused on building relationships with customers through emotional connections and optimizing the customer behavior, both at the transaction and in between the transactions. Well, welcome to the show, Brad. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, Rob, great to be here. Good. For those loyal listeners out there who don't know who you are or what Kobe is, perhaps you could share a bit about your background and story, how you got to where you are today. Yeah. So, so Kobe's my, my family's business. So I've, gr- I've grown up in and around loyalty and what, what originated as direct marketing when we were founded in 1990. Um, but, but our ethos from the beginning was how do we help leverage data and technology to deliver more relevant content to, from, from brands to consumers? Uh, my father founded the business, had uh, sadly passed away from cancer in 2000. And so I got involved as a de facto advisor around that time as I was graduating from business school. My mother ended up taking over the company. He'd, she'd been involved uh, since the founding of the company, but never as a practitioner of any kind of marketing or technology. But she kept us focused on, on loyalty, kept the company going, uh, largely for, for the employees, for our teammates at the company, which was, which was just an awesome thing to do and, and energized our, our teammate base. Um, I got involved. involved full-time in 2006, uh, when we were a, a bit of a precipice, we just won a large piece of business. We were onboarding a new client. Um, and, and one of the leaders at the time thought that we should, the technology was no longer going to be a differentiator within our business and that, that Kobe should in fact outsource it and just focus on the service delivery. And, uh, so I came in and did an exhaustive search and said, you know, to me, that doesn't make any sense. Technology has always been a huge differentiator for us in our business and the ability to enable, uh, you know, the use of data to drive this personalization and communication. So we reinvested our technology and, and within our leadership team in general. And, and um, at the time, 2006, we were about 30 or 40 people. We've um, you know, invested heavily in technology and then services as we've grown. And we're you know, probably 10 to 12 times that size as we were back then. So it's been a really exciting journey. I, I came up uh, initially as a liaison between marketing and technology. And you know, within six months to a year, uh, I ended up taking over and running business development because I said, you know, we have to grow. And, and, you know, that's sort of at the time we were, <clears throat> I think a two, a two legged stool, we had two large clients. That was the 90% of our revenue. So that's a pretty precarious position to be in with, with, you know, shaky technology at the time. So I started running biz dev. I ended up eventually taking over marketing. And then as we grew, started to build out our services. So uh, that includes tech, uh, consulting services, uh, agency services, analytic services, campaigns and marketing. Uh, and then Somewhere around four years ago or so, I took over as a CEO, uh, and 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 today it's you know it's really exciting. We've got uh, 350 teammates, you know, all focused on uh, the delivery of loyalty and the customer experience, and how do we help drive uh, both the behavioral side of loyalty, but as importantly, how do we drive and measure the emotional side of loyalty? And and we've come up with a proprietary uh, emotional loyalty scoring tech technique that really pir- has been pioneered in the industry, and and it's getting a lot of traction. Cool. We're definitely going to have to touch onto that because that's that's definitely floats my boat. I think technology is probably the, um, when you say the differentiator, um, I don't want to say it's commoditized, but I think understanding the data 
and really helping your clients get to the nitty gritty of what it really means uh, is, is probably the key. So when you mentioned that uh, from a technology standpoint, what does Kobe do in that respect? Do you outsource that stuff from a tech? No, so, no, so all of our technology is uh, proprietary built in house. So, so we um, have built a number of generations of our, of our technology. The, the current, the current version that we go to market with is called Alchemy X. Um, it's part of the Kobe loyalty cloud. So it's a, it's a loyalty decisioning engine. Um, but, but one of the things that, that, that we've tried to really push that's I think differentiated is getting beyond the transaction. So, um, well, let, let me take a step back. We think that loyalty is, is, is actually, is, is an outcome that, that loyalty is a destination. It's a, it's an enterprise wide strategy when, when done correctly. Um, and, and a lot of times loyalty, you know, when, has been sort of bucketed into programmatic point programs mm-hmm. and, and you know, we're strong believers in point programs. They're, they're a great way of keeping score. They're a great way of engaging customers. Consumers love them. Uh, we did a recent survey of uh, 50 retail programs and I think 85, 85% of consumers said that, you know, I love, I, w- I want to be enrolled in the loyalty program. I love being a part of a loyalty program. Three fourths of those consumers, 76% said uh, they feel like the loyalty programs are very similar. So I think that there is a bit of homogeniz- homogenization amongst programs and differentiation. Um, so for us, the technology is all about how do we enable broader, broader loyalty beyond the transaction to incorporate you know, as many behaviors as we can track and score as a mechanism to collect as much first-party data as possible so that we can drive re- relevancy and personalization and communications. Consumers are very comfortable giving data provided they feel like the, the, the company, the people are giving it to are you know, taking proper care of it, that there's proper governance. But what they really want to return is an organization that listens to them and uses the data to communicate to them. And that's where I think there's a big gap today that there's a, you know, a lot of organizations are good at taking data to try and drive transactions, to push out offers and promotions. Um, uh, they use data to go acquire new customers, but they're not as good at tying together the events in between transactions to build relationships. Hmm. So with your clients then that are using your ser- uh, services, uh, your software and your consulting services are kind of like a package, I'm assuming. And, when they do that, are who, who's do, dealing with the end user customer on a personal level? Is that you guys or them? It, it, it's both, uh, and, and 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 it depends. I mean, um, and, and I'll give you a couple examples. Um, for for a lot of clients that we work with, and we and we do work with in retail, we do work with in travel and hospitality, financial services, just a lot a lot of payments and credit cards, uh, telecommunications and media, entertainment and dining. Um, a lot of times our technology helps, helps enable the frontline staff. So, um, you know, if you're in a, a, a theater chain, the, the, the people at the, the box office or concessions that are dealing with the customers leverage our technology to either run transactions or to help drive redemptions. Um, you know, for a lot of our banking clients who, you know, who, that, that are largely credit card dri- driven, um, when you call the contact center to, to, to do a redemption, it's our, it's Kobe's agents on behalf of the, of the clients that we serve that are taking those calls. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a good example. While most, you know, most of our competition, most people outsource contact center, we wanted to insource it because we felt like we could, we could drive a better customer experience and that that was a really meaningful touch point when you get to actually, you know, human to human speak to somebody. Um, but we try to take our data and enable our clients and their frontline operations staff to have more meaningful conversations. And, and, and then the, another example of touch points or, you know, email as an example where, a lot of, you know, a lot of, for a bunch of our clients, we send out the emails, we send out the communications 
Um, others we help power the communications that they send out. So it's it, it's a hybrid model, but we're here to support clients, you know, however and however they want us to. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense because I think sometimes people in large companies are going to silo that stuff, and then you're going to get an email. You know, as an end user customer, you're going to get an email that may not specifically speak to you, but then if it's coming from someone like inside your center who knows that customer, it's much more personalized, I believe. And if yeah. you're tracking all those different touch points for each customer. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the brands that we work with would never receive a communication from Kobe. It's always on behalf of the brand. Um, and, and typically under the umbrella of the loyalty program, you know, that brand that we help them build. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So um, as we talked at the top of the show, before I hit the record button, uh, we like to talk in stories. I referenced the story from the guy that was traveling from Australia to uh, England and had a layover. So uh, people recognize these stories and they kind of talk about them around the water cooler. Not that anybody's around a water cooler now in the COVID-19 era, but uh, maybe through Zoom, they'll have conversations with their coworkers or their business associates that this will spawn some, some discussions with them. But before we even get into that, what I want, wanted to do, uh, Bram, was ask you personally, as a consumer, how you think about loyalty from the customer side. What does loyalty mean to, to you, Bram? So there's two aspects of, of, of loyalty. Um, we spend more time, I think as an industry, we spend more time focused on the behavioral side of loyalty. And the behavioral side of loyalty is points, discounts, incentives, spend this, do that, you know, spend this, get that. And, and, and those are effective, um, but oftentimes not all that differentiated. That, that survey result, result that I spoke to, you know, they felt like everybody gave them a $5 discount you know, or a birthday reward, not all that differentiated. Um, the, the, the part where we like to focus on uh, are the emotional aspects of loyalty, and we talk about emotional loyalty, and, 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 and this is a research we did. This is academic research that we have borrowed and then enhanced, but there's, uh, we look at lo the emotional side of loyalty as really three main drivers, status, habit, and reciprocity. Status is uh, how a brand makes you feel or how you feel about a brand. Habit is, um, you know, physically like, like um, creating habits for your, for your consumers and then doing things that don't break those habits. Uh, a, a good example is when, when you buy milk, you, 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 you go to the, and there's, you know, 20 different kinds of milk you can buy. You go and you buy the one with the blue, with the blue label. Yeah. And maybe, you know, it's 2%. You probably don't know the brand. You don't know the price. If they start putting price incentives out in front of you, you're going to pause and try to break that habit. And companies do this all the time. They actually break great habits that their consumers have. Um, and then the third element of status habit reciprocity being the third is uh, almost a state of indebtedness, like uh, between a consumer and a brand, like you've been there for me, so I'm going to support you. Um, and, and what we found and we've been able to score, we're able to take uh, from our clients or uh, is a, a subset of their consumers and score them. And say, you know, you've got a certain set of, set of customers who index the status and some that index the reciprocity and some that index the habit and some that index to a combination of those two or maybe some that, that don't index at all to emotional drivers. And this changes between individuals and brands. Um, and the way that you should communicate and engage with the consumers is different as a result of those drivers. So as an example, I may be very status driven as it relates to airlines because I fly uh, up until recently, I flew on an airplane every single week. And. I appreciated the fact that I had a different line to board the plane. And if I needed customer service, I could get through quickly. And by the way, I got a lot of upgrades and you know, that sort of status that I got with, with my elite level felt good to me. And there was a little bit of reciprocity in there as well, as well as some habit. Um, 
as I think back over the last three months and the, and, and the brands that I've been interacting with and what, and what, what I crave and what I think our clients crave and what we're working towards is, uh, is brands who understand and know customers and, and who generally can, can service across channels, especially in the digital world and, and can make it uh, relatively easy and painless for them uh, without frustrating them. I actually think it's a pretty low bar in terms of what we as consumers want and demand, but you know, as, as these organizations have grown up and you have hundreds or thousands of, of employees who service customers and all these different touch points, it does get very complicated. Yeah. You know, one thing that uh, I think you did mention also is the ease of the transaction should be frictionless. The one, uh, one I remember all the time is CVS. I walk into CVS in the pharmacy and I don't need to think about anything. They just say, what's your phone number? And then they automatically tell me, oh, by the way, you have six extra bucks. Do you want to use them? And I'm like, this is gold. You know, I didn't have to think, oh, I got to pull this out of my wallet. I have to think about this. It's just so seamless. And that, to me, creates that sense of loyalty. Plus, I think now, I mean, it's, it's part of their culture. When I walk in, they say hello, which is, again, it, back to the old school days of like the general store, I guess, in, in town, trying to yeah. separate the differentiator of themselves to other people. So, uh, so let me ask you this, Bram, what's an example of a, a brand that you're loyal to and why would you be loyal to that brand? I know you mentioned the airline, for example, in that case, but just an off brand like Starbucks or whatever the case may be. And what would the reasonings be for that? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you, you know, three different examples that are, that are, um, I think doing a good job and they're all sort of in the same category, which is interesting. So maybe you get a, a view into the things that I like to, to do or spend money on. Um, the first is Nike, who I think you know does a just. I think they've done a great job um, leading through the pandemic by leveraging the experiences that, that they have in other geographies that have maybe been faced with the pandemic prior to the United States, like China specifically. Mm -hmm. So I think they've done a really good job of um, you know play at home. I think was was brilliant. Um, you know, using digital assets for, for content to engage consumers keep me engaged, I think was really, really powerful. Uh, and then send me emails and products and communications on stuff that I need that I can use to still go exercise during this time. Um, you know, they also talk like humans, which I appreciate. Like there's a very, you know, relatable way that they communicate. Uh, I think another great example um, is I think Burton's done a great job. Uh, you know, I, I, what I appreciated about them and I, and I, and, and I love snowboarding and I love um, the company and products, but their, um, their chair, uh, took the opportunity through COVID to say, we actually think this is broader than just a pandemic. We think this is a call to action for, for climate change. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. I, I hadn't thought about you as a brand as being a leader in the climate change revolution hmm. and how important that is as a brand. Um, so that was really cool. And then the third is, is a, a local, um, and this is a good example. And I think it's, I'll give you two, two more because, because CBS is an interesting one for me because I, you know, I've shopped a lot at CVS and Walgreens. I ended up at some point switching to a local, a local pharmacy where the pharmacist has become my friend and he actually delivers the medicine to our house. So even when we've uh, been relocated during COVID, he just ships it out to me. I don't have to do anything. Like I don't have to go into a CVS. I don't have to interact with humans. I don't have to, like what I want, he just sends it to me. No questions asked. And he's actually, you know, competitive from a price standpoint. So that's really nice. The, the other one is that there, there's a local, a local retailer called Radio, Radio Board Shop that sells snowboard skate skateboard products. Um, and then in the summertime they convert to bikes and they've been able to build a relationship with me over time by getting to understand the products that I like to use and the way that I like to use them. And so as a result, when I went to go buy mountain bikes, 
I went back to the same people that have built a relationship that, you know, I feel like listen, you know, have expertise that is differentiated. Um, uh, you know, somebody else, you know, another company that's done a good job as Best Buy, you know, who I think leveraging expertise to drive um, as a differentiator, I think has done a good job throughout the, um, the last three months and in general, you know, engaging customers through, through something that differentiates them. Hmm. Good stuff. All right. So then let's say for, instead of from the personal side uh, for brand, let's think of for, from Kobe's standpoint. As a marketing professional in the field, um, can you share some of the pain points you have that it comes when you're trying to create and maintain customer loyalty for and on behalf of your clients? Some of the pains that you go through. And if you could represent it in a story, that would be even better if you have some. Yeah. So I go back to painting a best case scenario. So let's say you were, you know, get the sort of the perfect client to come in and say, we wanted to, you know, build and think about loyalty. And let me sort of tell you how, how I would do it if I, if it was me. So the, the, the engagements in situ and, and then I'll come back to the pain points. Cause I think that's sort of what we're, what we're, what you fight against. Cause they're all, everyone's well-intentioned. Um, the organizations that, that, that are most successful with loyalty first is, is it's a CEO led initiative. It's a top three, top five initiative from the CEO. Um, we come in and we're able to align the leadership team around the goals and outcomes of loyalty. And, and ideally in our world, and, and, and I'm, not, I'm not against programmatic loyalty, I think it can be very successful, but when organizations say we're gonna build our business model, our long-term success is predicated on loyalty. Um, and, and, and a great example of that is Amazon, who's built their business model around convenience, and they built a loyalty program in Prime that they get you to pay for to give you more convenience. And every year they can charge you more for that and they can give more benefits and more things to make it sticky. And they derive an insane amount of revenue yep. by selling you loyalty that then gets you to drive more convenience. I mean, it's the full circle, right? But they built their business model around, around loyalty and around an outcome derived from loyalty, you know, that both programmatically and from an enterprise perspective. The only thing we like to do is build an economic model to say, okay, well, if we're going to make this investment into, into loyalty, it's not just the fees that you're going to pay Kobe for technology or services or it's the reward costs, it's the redemptions, it's the operationalization. It, it, takes, it, it touches every aspect of an organization if done right. And with that economic model and that alignment, it gets you then to communicate to your operations, your frontline staff, the people who deal with your customers, you know, back to one of your question from you know, a few questions ago, um, making sure that you've got the operations down. Um, so I think when you get that right, you overcome you know, one particular pain point, which is organizations who could look at loyalty as just an expense as opposed to a revenue generator. Mm -hmm. When you build the economic model up front and you understand what your, what your end game is, then you build it into your financials and, and understand the incremental value that you drive from loyalty versus someone who comes in 10 years later and says, oh my gosh, we're spending this much money on loyalty. You know, you know then, then you're just creating a bunch of swirl to go to defend it when you, you, know, you can build those foundation elements in early. Um, the operational aspects, I think, are, are a real pain point. Um, these organizations employ, you know, that we deal with have thousands of frontline staff, we deal with consumers who have to know about product and have to know about service and have to know about returns and warranties. And, um, maybe they're selling credit cards also as part of loyalty. Um, and, and if they can't reinforce the benefits of the program, consumers lose interest or get frustrated. So you've got to constantly be training and incentivizing them to properly, uh, execute against the loyalty program. Uh, and, and then, you know, another pain point is just, is just, how much data flows through loyalty programs, how much data has flowed through customers, what are the right reporting metrics, what are the right mechanisms for, for analytics and how to share that through an organization, how do you set up the right data governance structure and, and, and execution. Um, 
getting that done right up front can avoid a lot of pain points later that, so, that, that, that come up. So on those last two points that you just referenced, which would be uh, from an internal standpoint, from an organization that has thousands of frontline employees, do you guys at Kobe help them manage how they are explaining this to their, their constituents so then they can explain it to the customers properly? So would you guys do? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we do. Yeah, we help them with training. We help them with communication. I'll give you a story that, and this is, it's, it's, it's dated, but it's, it's illustrative. We, we, we had a casual dining restaurant chain, um, pretty large, at least a thousand, at least a thousand restaurants. Um, had a loyalty program with many millions of members. And it was their main mechanism for driving data and for driving communications to their customers. And in the process of, of operationalizing the loyalty program, one of the concepts they came up with was uh, if you identify yourself as a loyalty program member, we're going to give you free chips and salsa. So nice benefit. And just a way to get, you know, think about authentication in the, in the world today of just trying to get anonymous buyers to self-identify so you can drive a personalized experience. So the, their servers, their frontline staff were incentivized to sell appetizers. And so the frontline staff didn't want to ask consumers if you were in the loyalty program because they were afraid that by giving you chips and salsa, which, which all the data showed them, by the way, increased ticket size. People mm -hmm. bought more when they had chips and salsa. Um, they didn't want to ask because they, they were afraid that it was going to decrease ticket size and decrease their incentives to, to sell more appetizers. So this is a really nuanced example, but like, you know, I'm sure any organization listening to this would be like, would be nodding to some degree to say, yeah, we either got that one right or completely can empathize with that. Because um, again, it's all well-intentioned across the board, but you get into this sort of these nuances and the pain points. And then there was, you take it up two levels and this particular client, you know, we were dealing with the CEO and the COO. Um, it just wasn't trickling down as effectively into the organization. Yeah. I mean, it, it does become a conflict, I guess, to the uh, frontline employee who has his own or her own personal agenda, so to say, to say, you know, I, I'm getting spiffed or, you know, uh, a, a, an upcharge for selling extra stuff and now I'm giving stuff away, it's counterintuitive in their mind. But yet, if they're presented with the data, I think that you just mentioned, in such a way that it does show higher ticket sales overall by giving away the free items up front, they'd be better off. Plus, I mean, that always happens to me. I think about my own personal experience. I go into a restaurant and I get something and something gets screwed up and it wasn't really the fault of the server, but they take it off the bill I always give the server the amount of money that it would have cost to get that product anyway, or that's, that, that's the item, yeah. always. And um, I think they appreciate it, you know, because those are the frontline people. But so, you know, from, from, a, uh, from your organizational standpoint then, and I don't want to get into the nitty gritty details, but how did it end up working out with that particular client? What happened with that program? <laughs> it, it, interestingly enough, it was a battle we lost. I mean, we were able to, you know, show with data that we increased ticket size. Um, but the head of operations at the time, you know, philosophically didn't agree. Yeah. And even if we, we were able to, you know, show with data, what we, what we were, so, so we lost that, we, we lost the chips and salsa battle. But, but the, you know, but, but, but the thing that we ended up, I think, successfully implementing was, showcasing them the value of loyalty and and why the customer experience mattered and, and why we were sort of at a precipice with, with, with you know to some degree to say if you're not going to do it properly 
you may not want to consider doing it at all. Yes. Because you're going to end up frustrating. And, and I think when, when we brought it to a head like that and made it, you know, brought the customer uh, experience side to bear, they were like, of course, that makes sense. Let's try and let's try and figure out the incentive side a little bit better. Yeah. Let's try and incorporate some incentives, um, you know, into our SPIF program that, that, that tie into loyalty. And we have many other clients, by the way, who do a great job of incentivizing the front lines to either drive enrollment or make sure that you're recognizing people who are enrolled in, 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 in the program. Um, but that gets back to the alignment that we talked about earlier. If the goal is to enroll every member into your loyalty program, you're going to dilute the impact of the loyalty program. Cause again, it's historically about attracting and retaining your best customers. Yeah. Um, you know, some loyalty programs have, you know, 80% of customers in there, and that's great from a data perspective, but you can dilute the impact of the financial rewards across a large base that may not appreciate them. Yes. Airlines, you know, our airlines fight with this to some, to, you know, to, as an example. Well, the casinos do the same thing, but that's why they have tiered programs, right? Yep. You get tiered program benefits that other people don't get. And like you mentioned at the top of the show as well, when you have elite status and you get frontline, you know, you get in the front of the line when you're traveling, it, it gives you that sense of, Hey, I'm important. And that's just, you know, from Maslow's laws of uh, people and how they think about themselves, right? And everybody else. Um, so I think we mentioned from an internal standpoint that you work with organizations. So now some companies, I think, get innovation and they recognize that without innovation, they're in the doldrums. I mean, no one's using clip coupons anymore. Buy 10, get one free, obviously. People are using scan cards now and now people are obviously going digital. And I think the new trend really is, uh, and I don't know if it necessarily makes a difference, is the tokenization, you know, using the blockchain, so to say, on the loyalty programs, which I don't know if it has a real benefit, maybe from a technical standpoint that's beyond my scope. But at least from a, uh, an innovative standpoint, I think companies like, or customers rather, like to deal with companies that are innovative and cutting edge without, you know, being... Uh, absurd when it comes to the, the type of technology that you're asking you to to use. But in that context, Bram, are there any companies that you can think of, both positive and negative, that would think we want to innovate of any cost, at any cost, or you know we're just going to hold our ground and see how it goes for the next ten years and hope for the best? So I guess the question really is: you see a, a wide gamut of companies that you probably engage with on a regular basis. Just the general scope from a loyalty and customer engagement standpoint, what's the percentage, would you say, of people that are, you know, innovate at all costs or staunch and I'm going to stick to my guns? What's interesting about that example is I would say that the brands that choose to work with us um, are all innovative. We're all interested in innovating their loyalty programs. There's none of them that I'm looking at. Even during, even during this COVID downturn, like they're almost all of them are making good investments in their business and pushing the digital channels, pushing the omni-channel, pushing into, into better applications of loyalty. I, I think that the, that the next frontier, and, and, and I think that the, that the risk, if, we, if you don't push into the next frontier, is that you have just a proliferation of loyalty programs that are all sort of commoditized. They're not, they're not differentiated. Um, and, that, and that the use of loyalty um, uh, sort of gets neutered for lack of a better term because it's it just becomes programmatic and all the same organizations are now thinking, how do I leverage loyalty for growth? There was a really cool, uh, a really interesting MasterCard HBR, Harvard business review study where they surveyed like 400 executives and either the number one or number two, uh, driver for loyalty 
was growth. So they're actually thinking about how do I drive acquisition through loyalty? Because I think far too often what happens, at least what I see, is companies acquiring, spending tons of money and resource to acquire customers, and then they go and reacquire the same customer and reacquire them again, and they train their consumers to be sensitive to promotions. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think even on Instagram or Facebook, where you see a lot of really targeted, personalized content, they've also trained you to say, okay, I clicked on that product. If I just wait a day, they're going to send me 10%. And if I wait a week, maybe they're going to send me 20%. Right? It, it, yes. It's a game and it doesn't, it doesn't, lead, to a, a, doesn't lead to a good outcome. I, I, I even think of a, an, an example I like to use, and I've, I've written about this in the past, is, is Apple. Um, great products, an amazing ecosystem of products. They built out all these services around the products from Apple TV and Apple Arcade. Um, you know, I use their phones. I use their tablets. I use... Uh, you know, MacBooks and, and half of the last 15 years. Um, when I walk into an Apple store and they're able to pull up all the information on me, now they could, whether they can see all the stuff that Kobe purchases and whether they attribute that to me or not is, is a different conversation, but they can see that I have like 15 iPads and a whole bunch of computers personally and phones and, and they treat me no differently. If I have an iPad that breaks, they're just like, yeah, buy a new, buy a new one. Maybe I'll get to a human that's like, here's a hundred dollars off you know, a $600 iPad that shouldn't have broken within a year. They don't seem to care. It's sort of my, I might get an individual to care. And I know that probably Apple does care, but they're like, it's about our products. And I think that there, I think that there's some risk in that. Um, especially when you're trying to build out broader ecosystems with Apple pay and Apple pay value and services and the credit card. I just like, they're, they're thinking more broadly. Um, but they don't necessarily think about loyalty as an outcome at least not as far as I can see from a consumer perspective, because they don't feel like it doesn't feel like they're they listen as well as they could. They don't contextualize as well as they could. I understand how challenging that is because they, they're a giant company, but uh, that's, that, that's an organization that, that I'm sure is talking about it, thinking about it, but has some opportunities out of them. Yeah, you're right. I mean, they, I've never really ever seen a discount on any Apple product ever. But I think they create that culture that we're, and I don't want to say we're better than everyone else, but they know they have a quality product. And I, I'll give them this. Anytime that I have an issue with either an iPad or an iPhone or a MacBook in this house with, you know, when my kids were living here, I would be able to call them and it was nearly a trillion dollar company at the time and say, they would say, hey, Rob, you know, we'll, we know you've got this and we see this serial number and let me tell you, and even though this is out of warranty, we'll still be able to help you out and they'll spend an hour with me on the phone. Where, you know, if I called a local shop right here, I might get a voicemail. So that to me is telling in the sense that they do want to do something, but not in a, um, a discounted way, like you said. Yeah. I mean, this is our price. If you want to pay it and be part of our club, that's fine. If not, that's fine too. But, uh, you know, they make a superior product in my opinion because it's the ease of use in comparison to. And it's funny too, the, the first time I ever sat in front of a MacBook Pro was the time that my chief operating officer, when I had the casino, bought me one for my birthday. He goes, you've got to check this out. And we're all on Windows machines back in the day from the 90s and stuff like that. And he goes, I'm telling you, this is the coolest thing since sliced bread. You don't have to restart anything. You don't have to add drivers. You know, I mean, we were talking about Windows 3.1 yeah. and DOS prior to that. So this was just the greatest thing. And this came from a tech guy, which was, you know, because at the time, this is back in mid-2000s, everything was... Uh, you know, it, it seemed like it was for creative people. That was it. Just artists and graphic designers are using it. But now, you know, it's uh, with everything on the web, I guess it just makes that 
that much easier. Yeah, uh, and, and but back to the Apple example, I don't think that the answer is discounting or giving money in the back necessarily, but I don't think the ease of use, at least in my experience, like if I have to go into a store, wait 10 minutes for someone and I got to come back the next day and I know I can do it online, but it's, it, it, it's frustrating, especially when you're, when you're tech, they're also dealing with technology. So when your computer doesn't work, yeah, you got to work. Like you're really frustrated. I just think it's always, I'd be willing to pay for that. Just like with Amazon, you're willing to pay for prime. I think that Apple has an opportunity to package some of the stuff into what I would consider as a loyalty wrapper. You know, like, like you would pay for additional ease of use amongst all your ecosystem on an annual basis. If it, um, and they could drive a bunch of revenue and just repackage what they do already. Yeah. Well, they have that on the phones, I believe. It's uh, like Apple protection or something. I pay. They do, but, 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 but even that's annoying because you're paying, it's a warranty program, right? Like that isn't, yeah. you're, you're paying for them to replace it. But when, it, when your phone breaks, you still got to schedule an appointment and come in and it's it just, it, it could be easier. Sort of. Yeah. Well, maybe there's a business in that itself. So one, one, one other question before we start to wrap up. What about the, uh, the concept that's been coming out pretty strong now where um, it's kind of like the arbitrage play. There's a lot of companies that are leveraging the affiliate programs of other companies to drive loyalty back to themselves. So if you look at the airline industry, and actually every credit card does it, you know, you get points back for this and extra points for shopping at this store and extra points for shopping at this store. But like the airlines, for example, or even Shell with their fuel rewards program, in addition to flying on your airline brand that you mentioned that you like, if you could also earn rewards in that program by shopping online and then being able to burn them off exclusively in that, for the miles in that program, those things have been taking off over the last couple of years. It's kind of like the uh, Ebates model or what's yep. now Rakuten, but closed loop specific for that program. I know Barclays Bank has one, Caesars Entertainment has one, um, like I said, every hotel has one, every airline has one. What's your, what's your thought on those? Um, and there's other examples, by the way, honey, you know, had a yeah. you know, huge purchase by, by, by PayPal. I bought mm -hmm. as another one. Um, and they've done a good job of building these sort of, you know, these leveraging affiliate or merchant fund rewards to drive, you know, a bunch of value into businesses. Um, I love partnerships and I think that they're really, they're, they're really meaningful, uh, especially when they're relevant and can be differentiated. And I'll give you a, a really good example of one that, that, that I've seen recently is West Elm and REI have a partnership. Like during COVID, you know, Get Outdoors, a, a whole product line that's sort of just co-marketed co together. I think it's really interesting. I think Nike does a great job with a lot of their partners figuring out a way to drive, drive value. You know, specifically to the, to the affiliate mall to, to the affiliate model and some of the online malls. Um, I, I think that, that there's some legacy issues that, that the organizations are getting better at solving. One of them is just the ease of use of it. So in the, in the old days, if I had to log into my frequent flyer program website and then find the merchant mall and then make sure that I bought through that, through that link when I got it to get the extra miles, like that was a bit of a, a pain and I probably, I probably wouldn't do it. Um, we combated that with toolbars. Mm -hmm. We had a partnership, you know, with with uh, with Free Cause that became Rocketon as an example. Where we brought out these toolbars, and what was cool is that when you'd go to like Home Depot, you get a green light, you go to Lowe's, you get a red light, and you could even message to the toolbar. Consumers were angsty about the toolbars because they're like, "Well, you're capturing more data, and how are you using it?" and you know all that kind of stuff. Um, 
the closed loop redemption is interesting also, especially for, you know, a lot of brands that we deal with want to control the redemption experience because that's that moment of truth. Like, and the brands who understand loyalty know that redemption is good. The brands that look at redemption as a cost and we want to drive it down. Um, I understand it. I just, I don't think it's the right long-term outcome. And so in some of the larger, like frequent flyer programs where they're trying to drive redemption from non-mileage, the cost equation doesn't always work out. And and the consumer value prop doesn't always work out because, you know, I'm redeeming miles for seats and airlines in theory have the revenue management have availability and they can give you more value through it versus I'm going to, you know, and maybe I get a penny a point or maybe I get six pennies a point, but if I got to redeem for merchandise, I might get 25 or 50 basis points on that. And, you know, I guess consumer choice is good, but um, it's less impact from a redemption perspective. Mm-hmm. But I do think it's done well. Um, and if it's prioritized, you know, partnerships and are a good way to drive additional revenue. Um, you know, frequent flyer programs are incredibly profitable because of the credit card relationships and their ability to drive revenue by selling miles. So I think if it's done well um, and it's done in a relevant way, it can be incredibly meaningful yeah. on the earned side and, and on the redemption side. But it, but I, but but it's nuanced and it's not that easy as just saying here's a mall go use it. Yeah, well, I think it, it all comes back down to the redemption side from the extensive research that I've done in the space uh, for my other businesses. That yeah, uh, the redemption side is really where it all comes down to. And when it comes down to the understanding from the underlying company that is uh, letting their users go out and earn elsewhere and come back off and burn with them it's creating that sort of stickiness. Like when you think about that honey um, browser extension, it just pops up. It doesn't need to really change your experience that much. Exactly. You just click the button and boom, you're, you're now going to earn points for that brand. Now honey obviously goes right back to the customer, but in this case, uh, like with um, uh, choice hotels does it and uh, you know, American airlines or uh, Southwest rewards, same thing, click the button, and you're shopping at Walmart, Kmart, Home Depot, and you're earning miles. Simple, right? You yeah. can only burn them for miles. That's the only thing you do. But um, all right, listen, I, I know I could talk loyalty all day, but uh, yeah, I know we have to wrap it up. I want to be respectful of your time, plus the attention span of the average listener is probably gone 15 minutes ago. So uh, not after this conversation, they're going to be no. wanting more. Yeah, no, they, they, they're exactly. So if they do want more, let me ask you this. How can listeners reach out to you, Bram, to find out more about yourself and Kobe? Yeah, I mean, they, they uh, you know, happy to, you know, the easiest way is, is, is Kobe.com. They can, you know, connect with me via LinkedIn. Um, you know, we do some work on Twitter and Instagram as well. But, you know, so if they want to come follow us. But, you know, we, we, um, we publish a lot of thought leadership on in and around loyalty, specifically on, on emotional loyalty and, and, how to measure it. Um, we talk a lot about loyalty and the customer experience. Uh, so, so I would say, you know, come to Kobe.com, follow us, uh, you know, reach out and I'm, I'm happy to connect and, and, and talk about this topic of customer loyalty. I love it. Me, yeah, me too. That's why I, I, I that's why I sought you out. So uh, Kobe was with a K K O B I E. It will be in the show notes. Bram, I want to thank you for your time um, and sharing your customer loyalty insights. I also wanted to thank our loyal listeners uh, for being um, valuable to us. Obviously, we can't do this without you guys listening. If you feel you received value from the show, we would definitely appreciate a five-star review from your favorite podcast streaming service. If you know someone else who might value listening to this podcast, please do share that.
that's how we grow. And to reference this and other Loyalty Minute episodes, please visit theloyaltyminute.com. Enjoy. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for your next edition of the Loyalty Minute.